All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation. It could be business, it could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood. And the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us, they're not just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to, and I'm going to share their stories here so that we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, so um, I'm super excited uh, to have this person on, gang. This person, um, you know, I met him on LinkedIn and just, um, you know, he kind of leapt off the, the, the screen and, uh, you know, really just, um, you know, made me smile after speaking with him and excited. So this person, you know, is a, is a trained salesperson. He's, he's worked at some amazing companies. He headed up uh, North American L&D programs. Um, he was an L&D programs manager. Um, you know, for North American uh, sales at Tesla, um, you know, and now he um, owns his own company as a consultant. Um, so he does a lot of mindfulness consulting. Um, he's a sales consultant. He, you know, consults leaders and um, organizations. Um, you know, I love his tagline on LinkedIn. Mindfulness is not just for yogis. Let me tell you why. He'll tell us about mindfulness today. Um, he's a storyteller, a speaker, a coach, um, just an all-around great human being. Please welcome none other than Jay Abbasi to the podcast. Welcome, Jay. <laughs> that is a way over the top intro, man. I don't know <laughs> if I can live up to that, but I really appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. That was very kind of you. I'm, I'm sure you absolutely will. Absolutely will. I know you will. And I'm uh, excited for the uh, listeners um, as well. So Jay, um, you, you talk a lot on LinkedIn now, um, you know, about, um, you know, mindfulness and um, relating to your feelings. And, um, you know, we share, uh, you know, belief and, um, you know, relating to others through our feelings. And my first uh, question is around that, just finding out about you. So you talk a lot about recognizing our feelings and relating to them. And so why do you think relating to our feelings uh, is so important to human connection? And was there something that really motivated you uh, that caused you to want to pursue this as your calling? That's a great question. So maybe I'll start with the second part of that question and go to the first part, because it'll cool. probably tell a better story. So what got me interested in how to relate to my feelings had to do with what I experienced years ago. And many of us, unfortunately, we go through some hard times and that wakes us up. And for me, it was the loss of my dad. And he, when he passed away, it was a sudden loss and it triggered a desire to seek out a way to transform my life and to be able to better relate to that emotion, right? Of grief and, how to then also live the life that I really want to live. Uh, I felt like mortality was staring at me in the face, right? You see someone you love pass away, it shakes you. And so I, I sought out all the different ways in which I can improve. And one of the things that really made the most sense to me was how I relate to my thoughts and my feelings. Because ultimately, if you think about how one improves, how one changes, it can only be done by that person, right? You can only do that to yourself. No one can do that for you. And what gets in the way 
of our ability to succeed and to live the life that we really want to live is our own fears, our own belief systems. And we have to be able to look at that objectively with compassion in order to change it. Because otherwise, you're always going to be limited by those beliefs and by those fears. And those beliefs and fears are not something that you did to yourself. It was a program that happened from your genetics, your conditioning, and all those things. And so it led me to this realization that if I can better manage how I relate to a feeling of fear, a feeling of anger, a feeling of sadness, whatever that arises, if I can detach from it, then I'm no longer at the mercy of it. Because otherwise, before that, most of my life, I was always at the mercy of that emotion. And I think this applies to us in our professional lives and it applies to our personal lives in every aspect of life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think what you just said was so important. I mean, if, um, you know, about detaching from our emotions and looking at them objectively, because I mean, you know, the, just the explanation of what they are, they're they're feelings and only we can feel them. No one else can, um, you know, uh, feel them, but they can recognize uh, them um, and maybe, um, you know, help, help us understand them. Um, Because maybe we, you know, not a lot of times, completely understand them we're just they're just feet they're just where they're just you know in the moment um you know emotional um you know rea- i guess reactions um yeah and so um you know when you're you know w- when you're talking with just kind of interacting with people and and you know you're trying to to connect to someone's um feeling what they're feeling you know what are what are some ways you you try to to understand you know what someone's going through to try to have that deeper connection with someone without feeling like you're judging them or like you know that it's that you know they're they're you know their their feelings are going to be used against them in some way how do you how do you do that yeah the first thing i do is ensure that i'm not going in it with my own prejudgment. So there lies some awareness of oneself. I have to be able to look at myself and say, am I already judging this person before I even interact with them? And then as I'm listening to the other person speak, noticing if I am going through a filter in my mind to try and, like you said, or to place judgment on what this person's saying, am I criticizing them in my mind, right? Am I actually thinking through what's wrong with them? Or am I just receiving what it is that they're saying where I take myself out of the equation? So ultimately, it's kind of a, the word that gets used sometimes in some of these uh, teachings is emptiness. It's kind of like being empty. And if I, I think of it like this, if I go into the conversation with my glass already full of water and you try pouring something in, I'm not going to get anything from you. I'm not going to learn what you're, where you're coming from. I'm not going to understand your feelings. I'm not going to understand what you're trying to communicate to me because I already have a glass full. So before I even speak with you, I got to empty that glass and I got to make sure it stays empty on my end. So when you pour it in, I am fully understanding what you're saying. So some of that tactfully, what I could suggest to people is be present really be fully present sometimes it's you know noticing the tingling sensation of my toes while i'm talking with someone noticing my weight in the chair and that brings me to a state of presence and then fully listening 
without anticipating what I'm going to say next. And sometimes that means after the other person's done talking, I take two seconds to really comprehend what's being said before I respond rather than immediately jump into what I'm going to say next. Yeah. You know, I know, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's tough to do because we, um, as someone's talking, we, you know, we're, our brains are moving while they're, they're talking and, um, you know, we can't just kind of rest it because our, you know, it's just, you know, we're, we're taking in what they're saying. Um, but you know, it's so, so true. I think, um, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me how I think that you can, um, you know, just all the different ways that you can attune yourself to, to your own feelings and then just like what others are. And I think that's kind of the key of, of human inner uh, connections is, um, you know, really deeply trying to, to, everyone says, put yourself into their world. That's the key of empathy, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's more difficult to kind of go a step further and to kind of feel what, what someone's feeling. Cause only that person can really feel, um, that you could never, um, you know, steal someone's feelings. <laughs> you can only, right. um, you know, try to um, listen to them or understand yeah. them. Um, you know, uh, Jay, you talked, um, you know, and, and I'm so glad, thank you for kind of always being open and, and being you know, vulnerable and kind of telling um, kind of what happened to your dad. I'm, I'm, um, you know, mine, uh, unfortunately, um, I lost my dad this year and I didn't know really where to go, um, what to, how to, you know, really, gra I'm still grappling with my feelings uh, about it. And, um, you know, it's, I probably always will. And, you know, grief's not something you ever get over. I, I've, I've said that a bunch of times. You know, how do you think, um, how, how do you think being vulnerable, um, you know, should um, be applied um, beyond just your, your, you know, personal interactions? How, how do you think being vulnerable should be applied in places like our workplaces or even places like LinkedIn, because I think it's so important. And I've asked a few people this question, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts on um, the concept of being vulnerable like you were. Yeah. First, I'm um, sorry to hear about your dad. And that's, that's very hard. Um, and when it comes to vulnerability, I think there's a misunderstanding sometimes where people think that means, you know, putting all your, your life onto the table for everybody and uh, I don't know, giving too much information. And that's different. That's not what I, when I'm referring to being vulnerable and being authentic, I don't, I don't personally mean that. I think Brene Brown does a really good job of explaining it. And that if you're going to be vulnerable, well, not if, in being vulnerable, there shouldn't be this desire just to share for selfish reasons where I'm only doing it because it makes me feel better and or I'm only doing it because I want attention for my vulnerability. And people can tell if that's what your fuel is for being vulnerable. If instead you're being vulnerable because you re really wish to share and give something to someone else and there's some value that they receive in your vulnerability, then it's worthwhile. So I would say outside of personal, you know, professionally, business, sales, whatever it is, it is always a good thing to be vulnerable and to be authentic when it's being done because you are giving something to the other person that they will find valuable and you're not doing it only for selfish reasons. Good description. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and sometimes like, I don't think about, um, you know, what I'm doing before I do it when I'm being vulnerable. It's kind of just comes out because I'm, you know, I feel like comfortable being able to talk around the person and, um, you know, and, and then it kind of, um, you know, it's just kind of the circle, I guess, of, 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 of vulnerability, I guess. Um, you know, kind of, you know, if you're, when you look kind of at your career, um, were you always um, someone that like, you know, was really in tune to your feelings or, you know, in, in mindfulness? And we'll talk a little bit about what that is and what your definition is. And maybe, I don't know if you were, you know, always a, a meditation guy or kind of what that looks like now, if you were always, I mean, people have this kind of, you always talk about mindfulness isn't just for yogis and you have this funny uh, video of you, uh, um, you know, doing your little, uh, you know, um, you know, yogi pose, um, you know, people has that have this, uh, you know, even my wife, I don't get, what are you doing? What are you doing? Headspace? What are you, I don't even get it. What, what, like she can't do it. She just can't do it. Um, it's not a thing, but like, were you always this way? And if, if so, like, I don't think kids like grow up in their, their, you know, Hey, let's own, you know, um, right. so, like, was there a trigger in your life? Um, you know, that kind of prompted you to look at your feelings in a new way. And, um, you know, um, and then I guess the follow-up is what do you think normally happens? What, what, what are you think triggers that, um, you know, triggers people to want to go to, you know, like meditation Um, and if there was something specific for you. So the answer is no, I was not always like this. And I was actually, I was quite the opposite, very closed off, not interested in that kind of stuff at all. And I've always been skeptical. Uh, so I'm from New Jersey, you know, and uh, I'm from, I'm like, you know, born and raised in New Jersey. So I'm a direct person. Like I don't like, you're going to have to convince me of something, you know, you I'm like not going to take, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to take things at the surface. Like you have to, it has to really make sense to me. And so I wasn't always this way. I was always curious though. I was always curious. I was always curious in reading and, I'd always try to understand all these different philosophies and, you know, what these different religions had to offer and these different approaches to life. And I've always been curious, but it wasn't really until that, uh, that experience I mentioned a moment ago, right? When I lost my dad and then having gone through some personal things, you know, some marriage challenges and financial struggle, it kind of brought me to like this breaking point where I said, I can't do this anymore. And so I, in a way, got fed up. I got fed up with living a life that somebody else was writing for me. You know, that's what it felt like. I felt like I was on autopilot and I was just riding this wave. And if the wave went up or if it crashed down, I was just going with it. And I didn't have any control over any of it. And I guess, yeah, it just led to a point where I felt I needed to change. And so to answer the the second part of your question, which was, What does it take for someone to get to a place where they look into things like mindfulness, meditation, yoga, whatever it is, self-care? I think oftentimes it is there's a breaking point for people. And it's unfortunate that it's happening this year a lot to people with the pandemic and everything happened in 2020. We're seeing people get to their breaking point. And what ends up happening, Alex, is one of two things usually. One is people either crumble which is unfortunate and sad. And they just should go into their shell and it, it, it doesn't end well for, you know, unless they later recover. But the second 
option, which is what I see quite a bit is people say, okay, I need to change and I'm going to transform. And they are focusing on their self-care because they realize that this has become too hard. The suffering got too bad and they needed a change. And that's, those are the people that have been reaching out to me. Some of the people I've had the opportunity to work with, they've, they've reached that breaking point, but it also means they now have the courage and the willingness to try something new. You know, it's interesting that, you know, it almost has to come to that. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to like look at the profile of two people if um, one where they were almost forced into looking at, you know, signing up for, you know, kind of a mindfulness training at their breaking point and ones that maybe did it when things were great and they just wanted to try something new and, you know, did they, you know, who stuck with it or kind of what the statistics show? I mean, um, because yeah, I think like with all, 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 like something new, like, you know, weight loss or what we, we, we really don't make the, you know, our brains don't really make the shift until like, you know, we, we totally feel at a loss, like out of control. It, it's gotten Almost to a point late. Where, yeah. yeah, it's too late. Yeah. It's, it's beyond too late. And we can't, we've lost all like reasoning or explanation around what we can do. So we just kind of let go and we're like, okay, like, you know, if this is like, let's, let's try it, you know? So I, I think it's really interesting um, kind of what, you know, makes people want to decide to, to, to work with you and, and to, to take this on. So, you know, kind of transitioning your background, it was in sales, um, you know, with Tesla and, and running that and kind of bringing in this kind of concept of, you know, kind of, um, you know, mindfulness or connection. I wonder kind of how you were training at Tesla or maybe kind of how you feel like mindfulness um, can relate to the sales process. So I'm going to ask you some questions on that. Um, before I do, I, I want to understand kind of how you think, what your approach is to sales and maybe how you define, you know, what sales is. Because I feel like what I'm hoping to accomplish with, with this is to, you know, really kind of crush the, the stereotypes around what it really is. Cause I feel like it's something we all, uh, like I say in the beginning, have the ability to do no matter what your profession is. And people are doing it really, really well that are not trained in sales. They're just doing it because they're great human beings connecting with other people. So I'm curious, my first question is about that. Like, how do you define, you know, um, you know, what's happening, um, in what a sale is and, um, and then we can get into kind of how mindfulness can play into that, to it. Sure, sure. So a simple way to describe sales that just hits to the core of what, what really happens in a transaction is that the customer is motivated to either, either the customer is motivated because they have a problem which they no longer want or there is a result of which they do want, right? So I'll say that a little bit differently. It's they have a, there's a problem they have, but don't want or a result they want, but don't have yeah. or both. Right. And if what a salesperson's job is, is not to convince them that they have a problem or convince them of the solution that they have that they want to give to the customer. It's to inquire and be curious and in that relationship building identify if the problem that the customer has can be removed by the product or service or if the result that they want but don't have 
can be provided by the product or service of the salesperson, then there is a match, right? So there's a lot of honesty that's required there and a lot of deep connection and rapport building and trust. But ultimately we know that the way the human mind works is it, that's what really motivates us. We're motivated by this, these feelings uh, and it's our most basic feeling. And then we justify logically what it is that we feel. Um, but the feelings of the product themselves, that's just one aspect. Of course, the person who is selling the product must be trusted and must be liked. Uh, that's another thing I used to always teach you like, you know, the customer must trust you. They must like you. They must trust the product and they must like the product and they must trust the company and like the company. If you hit all six of those, you're going to be in a good place. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, that's the, 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 the phrase that I was always looking for in sales. And I say it on LinkedIn. It wasn't to, like, but what I was going for wasn't to like, you know, ring bells and to like rain money, even though like those things are all awesome in sales. It's to have someone just say, like, I trust you. Like, that is like the holy grail. If someone's like, Alex, no matter what, like, I, I don't care what you put in front of me, whatever you suggest, I know you have my, um, you know, best interests at heart. I trust you. Right. It, 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 I mean, you almost can't, like, you can't, you can't screw that person <laughs> because if you are, you're just a terrible person, but like, you have to live with that person saying, wait, 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 wait I trusted you. Right. Like that's lifelong. Like that's hard to get. It takes time. And, you know, I think is, is just at the core of everything. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think that that's, you know, and that's where like, you know, that's human connection, right? That the best salespeople I ever met all had that quality where within a few minutes, you trust this person. It's just the way they communicate. It's just they're in their nonverbal communication. It's just the way they speak. You, you would never think this person would ever do harm to you. And it's genuine, right? It's not because they're putting on an act. They're just being themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, just a I really want to, you said something before I want to double down on, which is for the idea that sales is something that only some people do and the stigma that's there and that, you know, I'm not a salesperson. I think it's a silly thing. And the reason I think it's so silly is because if you are a human being that interacts with other human being beings, you're a salesperson, whether you, whether you want to call yourself that or not, because you are always selling yourself in everything that you do, when you go on an interview, you're selling yourself. When you're having a conversation with your manager, you're selling yourself. When you want to propose a, a project that you want to be implemented for your, um, you know, for a new product launch or something, you're selling yourself and you're selling your product. So I think that too many people sh shun it for the wrong reasons when they should embrace it and learn what is a skill that I think everybody should have and develop. I completely wholeheartedly agree. Um, you know, because yeah, like we're making impressions about people all the time. It's just human nature, right? Like every single time you meet someone, your brain says like something like, okay, um, I believe this about, I feel this about someone. I believe this about someone. Um, you know, and that's what really leads to other things is that, that, that those impressions and, in you know those are those are sales like when you're when you're get, bringing your authentic self to someone um and they give you more time or they want to hear more they're more curious um 
you know, maybe you don't have a product, but that, that's a, that's a sale. Absolutely. So every day a sale made is kind of what I sometimes say. Um, um, what, um, so how do you bring in the concept of mindfulness into sales strategy? What, when you, I've never heard, like my, my first reaction is, um, like, the skeptic. Um, um, I've been in sales for 20 years and I know like sales training and even modern sales training doesn't teach mindfulness. Maybe they're, they're, they're teaching, um, you know, pattern interruptions and, and which are all, all good and, and, and some really cool new modern sell, social selling techniques, but you know, uh, meditation or mindfulness, like, you know, come on, this is, this is, you know, this is a sale. This isn't uh we're, we're not, um, you know, going in the woods here, um, Jay. So like, um, and I, I'm, I don't know if you've approached uh, skeptics and we're able to, um, you know, kind of uh, overcome a skeptic into what you do. So how do you bring in the concept of mindfulness? Why is it important to sales? And you know, how do you convince um, or persuade the person who's a skeptic about why it's important uh, to the sales process? Yeah, so I have a few a few different things that I want to say in response. And one is more on the macro level and then one more on the the micro level, but on the macro level, I guess I'll ask you, Alex, you you know, sales, right? Mm -hmm. What is one of the big problems that you see in companies with salespeople and their longevity? What is the problem? Burnout. I don't know. Burnout or, and, and, or they're focusing on the numbers. They're focusing on solely the financials and solely on, the um, KPIs and not people. Um, yeah. And what would you say that has an impact on their productivity? For sure. Yeah. Cause they're just cogs <laughs> in that scenario. Yeah. And I'd say that that's the macro in my mind, right? That is like, you know, for a whole team of salespeople for a company, when you have a, a culture that has salespeople coming through, they go through the burner, right? And they get burnt out and then they get spit out, right? And you have this high attrition rate. It's because these salespeople aren't in an environment that allows for the person to be mindful and to be able to relate better to their feelings or their emotions and to look at things objectively rather than get caught up in all the meaning of all this stuff, you know? And that burnout is one of the main reasons why I think mindfulness is so important to a salesperson so that you can go into your sale, your, your prospecting calls, your consultation calls, whatever you're calling them without all of this extra baggage, without all of this extra meaning you've added to it, without all that stress and anxiety of trying to hit the quota, you look at things objectively. And over time, that is one of the most, uh, valuable faculties one gains is this ability to look at things objectively and not get caught up in the craziness. So that's the, that's the one thing. And then the second thing is in every sales transaction, one of, well, when I was a sales coach and I would go around the country and I would coach salespeople, I'd say the most, the biggest mistake I saw over and over and over and over again was that the salesperson was not listening. It was, they were just not listening. They were talking, they were talking, they were talking, and they were not listening to anything the customer was saying. And these were, you know, these middle performers. And the tweak, I remember this one story, the tweak I gave to this one person was uh, to 
I didn't call it mindful at the time, but basically to be mindful of his desire to want to speak and to instead go to a question and then listen, actively listen to the, to the customer. And that takes mindfulness to be present, to be fully, fully present and to completely listen to everything that's being said without your desire to jump in and interrupt the customer. And this one salesperson jumped from having about, you know, five to seven sales a month, which was about quota, a little above quota to exceeding double digits every month and being one of the top salespeople in his state, because he just made that one switch, that one tweak to listen more and to be more present with the customer. So those are just two things that come to mind, the, ma the macro level and a micro level. There's much more to it, but mm -hmm. I, I, I think, say, any salesperson knows that burnout is a problem and listening and being present with a customer is, is very, very important. And those are two things that get, uh, uh, that mindfulness helps to support in, okay. in boatloads. So, you know, I probably should have asked this before then, but the question, but I love, like, your explanation almost answered it for me, but... You know, how would you explain it to someone who thinks, oh, I get it, mindfulness, meditation. Yeah, 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 yeah I get it. What is your definition of, of mindfulness? And how can you explain it to uh, you know, just a lay person um, who's really not ever meditated before, ever seen a definition? What, what does it mean? What does the real definition mean? Sure. Yeah. Because the definition will just be words, but what it does for you is really what's important. But I'll give okay. you my definition. Yeah. Yeah. What does it do? Yeah. Yeah. My, my definition is maintaining awareness of the present moment objectively and with acceptance. That's my definition. But what does that do for you? Well, when that gets practiced regularly, what ends up happening is we increase the space between stimulus and response. So let me explain that. So our life is full of stimuli, right? We wake up in the morning, you know, we, our phone notification hits us, that's the stimuli, and then we respond to that stimuli, right? That's how it is every day, throughout your day, right? Stimulus, response, stimulus, response, over and over and over and over and over again, right? That's our experience. Now, without mindfulness, and when we are caught up in our thoughts and our feelings, what, what happens is, there is no space between those two. There's stimulus and then there's response. And your response is based off of your own programming and your own patterns. It's reactive, the way you described it before, right? You're just reacting to whatever that stimuli is. And sometimes that reaction does not serve you. Sometimes that reaction does not serve the people around you. Sometimes it's destructive. So the problem is you're not able to look at it because there's no space between the two. What mindfulness will do with practicing mindfulness regularly is you increase that space between stimulus and response. So you can simply, you know, I like to think of it like it's like having your hands between your ears, right? And being able to turn and look at your left hand and say, okay, that's the stimulus. And then be able to turn and look at your right hand and say, okay, that's the response. Are the, is this the right response? How do I relate to this response? Is there another response that will better serve me? That's something that you can only do if you train your mind to do it because your mind is not naturally, most people are not naturally programmed to be that way. So you have to retrain it. And we have the science that shows in brain scans, this actually changes the way in which your brain operates. Your prefrontal cortex gets more involved with, with stimuli and how it reacts to it, especially when it's threats. 
So when you're faced with a threat, you have that space now to be able to respond rather than react. Mm. You know, what are some of the, you know, I, I'm sure like there's, you, you know, people spend their lifetimes trying to understand, um, you know, mindfulness. And I've heard of people meditating for hours, sometimes years and, you know, going monks, going into the mountains to understand mindfulness. If I'm just somebody who's never done it before, what are some easy things um, that you would like point people to? And, and what are some things that maybe we can think about in terms of, um, you know, how, how we could apply it in our daily interactions. Uh, we talked earlier about like how we're all in sales. Like what are some like just basic level things that we can be thinking about um, as we're trying to, um, you know, make impressions with people in our business and our personal lives? Um, what would you, uh, you know, what advice would you give to people? Sure. To get started, I would say start small. Don't try and sit for, 45 minutes the first time and meditate and, you know, say to yourself, I'm not going to have any thoughts arise in my head. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be quiet. Like that's, you're setting yourself up for failure. So go for one minute of sitting there and observing your breathing for one minute. See how it goes. Then the next day, if you want to go to two minutes and then continue to grow it, build it just like how you would if you were, building, you know, a new exercise routine. You don't go the first time and try to lift up 500 pounds. You take it easy and you build yourself up, right? So that would be my advice to anybody is start small, sit, don't have to get into crazy posture, just be relaxed, be alert, and just notice the sensation of your breathing for one minute or even 10 seconds the first time if you want. Uh, I, I sometimes coach people to just count, inhale, exhale, and then count and do that from one to 10. And that's it. And let that be your first practice. So that would be a way to start. Now, what could you do throughout the day and, and be more mindful throughout your day? You mentioned uh, two words before that I use a lot, which is pattern interrupt. And I encourage pattern interrupts all the time, but doing to yourself rather than doing it to a customer. So when you notice that you're going down these paths of your common patterns, you know, and you're getting maybe lost in, what stresses you or what's making you feel overwhelmed. Ask yourself a question that brings you back to the present moment. The question could be, well, what's happening right now? Mm, mm, mm. Simple. What's happening right now? Well, I'm sitting in my chair because your brain is required to answer it. That's the way the brain works. <laughs> if you ask yourself a question, your brain has to answer it. So what's happening right now? Well, I'm sitting in my chair and I'm speaking with Alex, right? Like that's what's happening right now. But if my mind was off distracted, right? I wasn't thinking about what's happening right now. So the pattern interrupt brought me back. And if I were to, to give uh, one more, I would say, look for opportunities that don't require any more of your time. To just shift how you approach that specific activity. So let me give you an example. We have to wash our hands a lot right now, given what's happening, pandemic. Why not let washing your hands be an activity that brings you to the present moment. So you can practice being here and being now and expanding that space, right? Between stimulus and response. And the simple approach is notice every sensation of everything that's happening when you go to wash your hands, when you turn the faucet, the sound it makes, when you put your hands in the water, the feeling of the water on your hands, putting the soap on, noticing the bubbles, every step of it, just be there. Don't be daydreaming, just be there and notice everything up until you dry your hands. 
And that in itself can be a practice of mindfulness that doesn't require any time out of your day. It's just something you're doing normally. I can go on and on, but I'll stop there some, some, uh, for some tips as to what one can do throughout the day. You're, you're giving me one, um, uh, Jay, um, because like, yeah, I, I just think of it as just like this monotonous task, but maybe I can use it like, you know, feeling the sensation and kind of centering myself and like, you know, you know kind of, yeah, you know, kind of letting my mind, um, you know, really fully be present in what I'm doing. And, and maybe that would kind of you know, help me with uh, kind of get on with other things in my day a little bit better. And I never thought about that. <laughs> little things like we do every day that we can you know, kind of um, train our brains to be more mindful of. So great. Yeah. Um, you know, Jay, just uh, kind of in our, like leaving off, is there anything that you want people to know, like specifically that you believe in? I know there's a lot of things that we didn't get into about your, you know, kind of methodologies and things like that, but you know, things that you really want to, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, think, help people think more about, um, you know, in terms of um, whether it be mindfulness or kind of like a way to, you know, kind of be in, more inspired in their, their daily lives, like anything that we didn't cover that you would want to, um, you know, really kind of leave people in as they, as they um, stop listening uh, today. The thing that comes to mind is when, when talking about things like self-care and being more mindful, putting something into your routine that is, you know, it requires time. The thing that might come to mind is I don't have the time. I don't have the time to do any of this stuff. I'm busy. And you're right. <laughs> you don't have the time and none of us do. We don't have spare time in our lives. So I would say the approach has to be, if you are really committed to wanting to improve yourself and to be more aware and to improve your ability to connect with other people through things like mindfulness, make the time. And you make the time by having to sacrifice something else. It's just the only way it is. Time is the only resource we never get back. You can always make more money. You can always meet new people. You can always, uh, there's always other resources available for the thing that you desire outside of time. There isn't, you're never going to get that back. That's a fact. So you have to sacrifice some time, whether that's, you know, 20 minutes of sleep, 20 minutes of watching Netflix, 20 minutes of browsing Instagram on your phone, whatever it is that needs to be sacrificed. And I would say that there is nothing more important than taking care of yourself. Even when it comes to your parenting or being a, uh, making money, whatever it is, if you're not taken care of, you can't be a great parent. If you're not taken care of, you can't be a great salesperson. So to, to not give yourself that time means that you're not being considerate of the people around you, the people you care about most, and what's most what you think is most important to you because you're not putting yourself first. So always put yourself first and make that time for yourself. It's um, so, so important. Um, if we don't do it, no one else will do it for us, right? <laughs> we exactly. have to, you know, we have to not just take a time, but, but make it. Um, uh, Jay, you're such a pleasure to talk to. I usually end this off um, because, um, you know, this is about selling our, our human selves. We're so uniquely different. Um, and I, I just, you're, you're different than anybody else I've had on and everybody is, but I, I, I haven't any, had anyone kind of uh, give this approach to, to sales in this way. 
Um, so I'm so happy you did. Um, so the question's about you, and it's just a fun question, and it's, um, it's this. It's, Jay, what is something or an event or um, you know, just anything about you uh, that could only and would only happen to Jay Abbasi? So if I asked a friend um, of yours, your wife, and um, you know, they would react by saying, you know what, that would only happen to Jay, that event, that's something, or that is totally him. What would that be? Ah, man, that's a that's an interesting question. What is something that would only happen to me? Hmm. I've had a lot of long pauses after this. So any type of uh, experience or something weird or something, um, you know, funny that's like, you know what? It's probably only something that Jay Abbasi would do <laughs> or has done. Yeah. Or, or so places who he's been. Like places I've been. Or so. Well, I can't think of something that has happened to me that would only happen to me. Uh, but I am thinking about what, like some character traits that would probably come up. I'm imagining my girlfriend right now, she would say. Um, so I can, I, you know, I can be quite forgetful sometimes, even though I'm mindful. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but like I, I could, All you right. know, I focus, Here we go. I, could fo I focus uh, just on what I'm doing, which uh -oh. means, like I really am. So yeah, that means yeah. I forget about the other things, uh -oh, right? Uh -oh. So like I would be someone who, you know, I get in the car and I'm traveling uh, to a very far distance, like to Vermont or something. And uh, I have my phone and I forgot to charge it and it's dead. And now I have to figure out how to get to Vermont and I'm midway through, right? And I, I don't know how to get there. So I would then, right, not have a charger, right? Either, you know, I'd probably have to find someone like at a gas station and they'd have to like give me the directions and, and write all those things down because I'm open to speaking with anybody. Uh, and try to figure out my way to get from New Jersey to Vermont uh, with no navigation. Uh, but that's the first thing that came to mind. I don't know why it did, but I think that my girlfriend would say that, yeah, that's a fitting description of what would happen to him because he just, I'm just doing what I'm doing and nothing else is on my mind. And then I leave and I go do something and I'm like, oh, forgot to charge my phone. I, I knew I loved DJ because um, my wife is going to listen to this episode and she's going to laugh because um, I do the same thing. She calls it, it's completely dead. I can't charge it. She's like, you just have like an expensive paperweight on your desk. Like what, what are you even using that for? I hate charging things, charging. I mean, we have so many things that we charge in our lives. I'm so forgetful of, you know, remembering chargers, remembering things. I have, um, I once, uh, uh, you know, I, I was <laughs> I was sending um, something back from my wife. My wife does um, the mail away. What's the you know dress uh, rent the runway? So like I'm 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 packing it up. She's like mail this at this UPS. I'm like great. And I had my keys in my hand. And I'm like oh where I can't find my keys. Okay. And then I, I got her keys. And I literally took my keys, put them put it in the rent the one runway bag, and I mailed it back to rent oh. the one runway. So I couldn't find my keys for like weeks. I couldn't find them anywhere. So I, I was going so nuts. And she's like, I can't understand you. How do you lose keys like you just had them? And how do you, I don't know. Well, I mean, long story short, I ended up calling Rent the One Way and they, they were like, yeah, we have your keys. And they <laughs> nailed them back. Like I actually, they had them, my keys to like, they were like $100 keys. 
but okay anyway That's so, so, funny. so we're uh, on the sounds, same it sounds familiar all right sounds jay you're a great person um man where can people connect with you find with you what do you want people to do after um this podcast um how can they um, reach out to you i appreciate it alex yeah my website is jayabasi.me that's uh, a great place to learn more about what I do and, and to connect with me. Uh, and then of course, LinkedIn, where you and I met, uh, just uh, search Jay Abbas, you'll find me and um, I post content there regularly as well. Cool. Jay, thank you so, so much for um, you know, helping me uh, be more mindful uh, about uh, my day and um, you know, I'm sure the listeners as well. Thank you so much for coming on. You're very welcome, Alex. Thank you. All right. Hey gang, all right, wow, you made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right, see you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.